morning's reading or readings come from Romans. Um, we've got four short um, passages. Um, you'd think it was chosen by a grasshopper, but I believe Paul has chosen them deliberately. So. Uh, to start off with, we're in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which can be found on page 1128 in the Red Bibles, and we've got Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. And page numbers for those are on the screen. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now on to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And now chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Helen. Um, you know, I think I've got quite a lot in common with a grasshopper, so, you know, the legs of a grasshopper. Um, so it's not a bad analogy or link. Um, we are going to look at this passage. That was a, a beautiful song we were singing. Why don't we, I'll, I'll use it as a, a prayer, Lords. You are mighty to save. Um, you're the author of salvation. These are wonderful things, and uh, they matter deeply to us. And I pray you just enrich our sense of what you've done for us uh, and how we live in the light of it and how we go out into this week in the light of it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we have a letter from um, Steve. Uh, some of you will have read this because I, uh, we put it on the uh, uh, weekly email. Um, and uh, he wrote... Uh, after last weekend, and said, Dear Platt, 
We are writing, as from Steve and Rachel, we are writing to thank you so much for the send-off yesterday from Platt. Uh, it was so warm-hearted and full of the joy and hope in the gospel, albeit having to ensure we didn't completely break down in the process. Um, your gift of a piano is a wonderful one. Uh, I do a lot of writing on the piano, but I have neglected the practice as of late. Uh, also, your kind gifts to Rachel on her birthday uh, of ceramics by Rachel Ho, uh, and of course, your financial help too. We are not taking retirement lying down. After a rest, uh, we hope to serve the Lord in pastures new, but always we will have passionate heart for Platt and its strategic mission to Manchester and beyond to the world. The blessing and obviously the challenge of Platt is the amount of people who pass through the church many of whom stay to serve in wonderful ways. May it continue to provide well-taught, warm-hearted, Jesus-loving Christians to the wider church for many, many years. In the Lord and for his glory, Stephen Rachel. That was the letter that they um, sent after uh, last weekend. Um, and in a sense, Steve was, was writing and closing a chapter um, uh, for us and for them, um, and aware that he is, in a sense, opening a new one for us um, going forwards. Um, and so it's partly why I wanted us to look at um, Romans uh, 12 to 16, um, at this point and from here, and, and why we called it um, called to community. If you know the book of Romans, and can I encourage you, if you don't, to, to read through it um, in the next few days, um, it's a wonderful book, but the part that we're looking at uh, from chapters 12 to 16 uh, bring together uh, some of Paul who wrote it, some of his thinking on what it is for us as Christians to live together. How do we uh, embark on this next chapter together uh, in the light of what God has done for us? Now, the reason why those um, grasshopper uh, uh, passages were picked out um, is because I wanted to kind of... Uh, uh, just to get a quick overview of the, uh, uh, of the book, which we'll, we'll look at. But this question, and a question that I said comes through Steve's letter, what is God doing in you and me? What is he going to be doing uh, in us and as a community uh, as we go forward together? That's the question that we're, we're asking as we start. This is a brief overview um, of uh, Romans. Now, you can do it, and this might help you if you're somebody who thinks in this way, there are sort of four, I think there are four mountain peaks in Romans. Here's a quick way to get a handle on Romans. The reason we read those out, you'll notice that three of them begin with the word therefore. And the way Romans works, it's all about the gospel and how the gospel is the power of salvation, how it rescues us, how God is mighty to save. He is the author of salvation. Um, and in that opening one, uh, verses um, 16 and 17, he speaks of it as the, uh, he's not ashamed of it. It's the power of salvation. It rescues us from sin and death. And then there are these mountain peaks that follow. As he unpacks that and explains what it is that God has done. Therefore, he says in chapter 5, therefore you've been justified. You've been made right with God. And you've been given a right status before him. It's wonderful news. And as he unpacks what that looks like, the, next, the third mountain peak in, comes in chapter 8, where he says, so therefore, if that's all true, therefore, you're not condemned anymore. You're no longer condemned, whether it's by anyone else or the thoughts in your head that say you'll never be free of that sin, 
that thing in your past. There is no condemnation. And Paul rejoices in that and says, look, this is wonderful news. And then he gets to chapter 12 and this final section and says, therefore, so then, if that's what's true, if you've been rescued and saved and made right with God and nobody can condemn you, therefore, now go and live in these ways. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And these two verses are going to occupy us for the rest of our time, and we're going to think about these. And if you would look, if you've still got them open, you'll see two uh, things are mentioned. In verse 1, he talks about your bodies, and in verse 2, he talks about our minds. Bodies and minds. In light of everything that God has done for us, let's think together about our bodies and our minds and what it means to live um, uh, in the light of him. And this is where we're going to start. So we're going to think about those two things. Those are our two uh, headings for um, this morning. Um, Your body, my body. Uh, What is he talking about, first of all? He's talking about serving out of thanks and not fear. Uh, Serving out of thanks and not fear. That opening line, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He is using um, temple language. Okay, so the language of the Old Testament and the language of the temple and of sacrifices, but I guess it's helpful for us to make a distinction in our minds and just try and divide up what he's talking about. Um, There were, you know, your your average... um, uh, person going up to the temple uh, in the Old Testament would have come, and uh, there might have been some different things you were doing. You might have come and you're bringing um, uh, a sacrifice um, to ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, a sacrifice that takes the place of you, is, if, if you like, and is, is sacrificed instead of you, and, and atonement is made, uh, your sins are forgiven. Now, Paul isn't talking about that. He's not talking about that. Uh, Given that in chapter 3, he's already said that Jesus is that one perfect sacrifice, he's not talking about us being sacrifices that make us right with God. Jesus has already made that sacrifice on our behalf once and for all. He explains that in chapter 3. He says it very, very clearly. But there were sacrifices that people brought to the temple, and they were were, um, more like sacrifices of saying thank you. Uh, They were thanks uh, offerings, thank offerings. Uh, And what did people bring? Well, what you did was you brought the best of what you had, the first of what you had, whether it was livestock or grain or or whatever it might be. You brought the best and the first of what you had, and you gave it over entirely to God. And it was a way of saying, Lord, really everything that I have comes from you. Everything I have comes from you. So I'm bringing you this to sort of signal that, to show that, that everything I have comes from you, really. Really? And I'm doing this out of thanks. And I'm doing it out of thanks for all that you've done for me already. And that distinction is quite, it's a helpful one to have, if you can kind of map that in, in your minds. Because what Paul is saying here is that in view of God's mercy, in view of everything, in view of the three mountain peaks that we've already had, as you look back and see what God has done for you, then in the light of that... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And I guess the, the distinction you might make is between, um, I think it leads to this, a, a, a fear-based religion or a thanks-based Christianity. And those two, those two things are worth just kind of teasing out in our minds. The, a fear-based religion is the kind of thing that uh, you, know, you may know, you, you may know, you may have grown up with this, um, uh, that sort of, ha- I have this feeling sneakily in the back of my mind that at some point God is going to appear and is going to condemn me. You know, I say I'm a Christian or I think I'm a Christian, but I sort of sneakily think, oh, at some point he might just show up, particularly at a bad moment, and go, aha, I always knew it about you. You were wrong. You're out. And a fear-based religion has that mindset. But do you see the, the mountain peaks tell us there is no condemnation. That is not what God is going to do because a sacrifice was made in Jesus on your behalf. There is no sneaking around the back and saying, aha, you're out. But a, a thanks-based Christianity is, is one that, that looks at what Jesus has done and says, in the light of that, Lord, I give everything I have, given how much you've given me. A thanks-based Christianity. Um, imagine for a moment um, a friend or, or a spouse or somebody that you care about. Um, uh, you know the situation, if they do something terrific for you, something really wonderful, uh, maybe they've really helped you out. Maybe you were really low and they've looked after you. Maybe you were in great need and they've supplied what you needed. When you get to that point, if somebody does that for you, it's not as though you then say, oh, you know, now I have to serve that person or I have to help them out now. Normally, do you know, if we're really moved for what somebody's done, we say, not I have to do that, but I, I get to serve them now. I get to, to respond to them I'm so fortunate I have them in my life that I get, I get to be with them. And that's the mindset that Paul is talking about, a thanks-based mindset, not that I have to, but that I get to. It's the, a, a fear-based religion, I, I, I'm aware it, kind of, it can creep in very easily. It's the kind of, a fear-based religion often sort of, uh, how do you know it? It often panics. It often panics and thinks, oh, gosh, I haven't been doing enough for God lately. Um, I better find some more money for him. Uh, panic. Is there any down the sofa that I can give him? Um, I haven't really been doing very much for God lately. Is there some time that I've got that I can sort of claw back and give him? Do you see there's a sort of fear-based panic that says, have I been doing enough? And a fear-based religion, another sign of it, I guess, is that over time, it can often lead to a sense of shame. A sense that if God knew what I was really like, and how little I've given him or how little I've prayed. I can say that kind of terrible sense of shame that lives with a fear-based religion, or perhaps even just a sense of bitterness that digs in, where over time, because you're kind of panicking and trying to find the leftovers of your time or your money or whatever it is, you get to a bitterness that says, God, actually, that was the last that I had left, and now you want it. But a thanks-based Christianity responds to, the, in view of God's mercy, it responds to what the Lord has done for us. And I guess if, that's, uh, if you're at that point and don't really want to go any further with me this morning, that's fine. If only to say, well, drink deeply from the well of what Jesus has, has done for you. Stop there and, and take some time to, to kind of think through and chat with uh, a friend 
because it, it'll only come that way, I think. We'll end up in a fear-based religion if we don't drink and enjoy what Jesus has done for us. If we don't sort of think to ourselves, do you know, it's not that I have to serve Jesus, but do you know, I get to. I get to do that for him. I was trying to put some um, flesh on this. Um, uh, let me give you a couple of illustrations of, uh, of what this might look like. Um, there are lots of different ways it could go. So it might, moving from a, a fear-based uh, religion to a thanks-based Christianity, it's kind of moving from that sort of panic, um, I haven't given any money to God this month, what is there, um, has anyone got anything, um, to just saying, Lord, you know, actually everything I have comes from you, and I can give to you, and I can organize it from when I'm paid, if you're paid. I can organize it so that it goes out, I will trust you, you've looked after me already, you'll look after the rest. I can trust you with that. It's moving from uh, a fear, a sort of sometimes we have a fear-based mentality that says, I don't know if you've ever come, thought this, um, Lord, whatever you do, please don't send me overseas. If you're watching those guys who are up the front here, whatever you do, don't send me overseas. Or whatever you do, don't send me on that church plant. Um, I'll do anything, well, I won't really do anything, but please don't, definitely don't do that. To saying, okay, Lord, what you've given me, in view of all of that, where can I help? Where might I serve you? What might you be calling me to? Um, it is exam season. I'm very aware of it's exam season at the moment. Um, I realise it's a challenging season. I realise you're working as hard as you can. Uh, I'm not here to um, uh, beat up on you. I'm here to hopefully uh, encourage you. But, do you know, we can... I've done many exams in my life. Um, we, can, we can get to the point where we think, I'm just kind of crippled. I'm fearing what my parents will think. I'm fearing what my friends will think. I'm fearing what these results will say about me. And, you know, in view of God's mercy, you have... You need to know at a deep level that you have made the grade already in the gospel. In fact, it's been given to you in Christ. And it's unalterable. And so, insofar in as you can, without being too anxious, you can go into your exam going, Do you know, for the next two to three hours, uh, Lord, I get to kind of show how you've wired me and how you've made me. But it's not the grade that's ultimately defines who I am in view of God's mercy. Uh, there is, a, there is a, a radical and uh, uh, an embodied way um, that this works. Uh, it is our bodies. Um, John Stott has uh, uh, a, a really lovely paragraph on this. It's, our, it's embodied, it's physical, it's, it's who we are. Um, I've tried to use illustrations that are to do with tangible things. Our money, our, our, where our hands go, where our feet go, where what we say um, uh, and what we think. Um, uh, our tongues will bring healing. So this is not saying if we, kind of, if we take this on board, what will flow out of this is, is our tongues will bring healing, our hands will lift up those who've fallen, and we'll perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning and typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. Um, a thanks-based Christianity opens you up to do that with your bodies, uh, to say, what can I do for you, Lord? Second, your mind. So minds in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, 
your mind, our, being renewed in our minds is thinking in new ways and not just in old habits. Okay, and again, there's a kind of distinction that's worth making. He's talking about the pattern of this world and the pattern of God's will. Now, um, he's not saying that everything in the world is bad, because I think sometimes we come to a passage like this and and you think, oh, yes, here we go, and so everything in the world is bad, and, and, um, uh, and actually decidedly not, because he's already said your bodies. So there's a physical, you know, a very real sense in which the world in which we live is, is good and made by God for us to enjoy. But he's, he's saying, can you see the patterns that are at work in your mind and in the mindsets that we see are perhaps in the culture around us or cultures in, across the world? And then what, are, what does God have in mind as a pattern for, for how we live? Um, cartoons often make this distinction quite helpfully. Um, if you get a good cartoon, um, they kind of capture something that, that happens in real life and they can kind of twist it. This is one of my favorites. Um, if you've ever played the game, this is based on the game Whack-A-Mole, where the uh, mole appears and you hit it hard. And the pattern, if you like, sometimes of life is moles are appearing and your job is to just slam them with a hammer. Uh, and occasionally, you know, sometimes I think that's what Twitter is like. If, you, if you're on Twitter, you just, you know, people slam them. But if you, can twi- if you can turn it around, here is a different pattern, a different way of thinking, which is, you know, that's how I like to approach moles. Anyway, um, the pattern of this world and the pattern of God's will. And so, the, you know, he, he specifies um, very little here, does he? So the topics are completely open. We could have conversations about this to do with money, sex, power, friendship, politics, church, children, careers, whatever, the environment, you name it. We could, we could sit and say, what are the patterns that operate? And on where, what can we learn from the Bible? And, and how do we put those two together? And he's saying, look, can you be renewed in your minds? Can you think clearly? Often we think Christianity is about kind of dispensing with thought. And the Bible so often says, you're not necessarily thinking enough. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin um, is uh, a writer, and um, a new book uh, that she has written and published is called Confronting Christianity. Now, full disclosure, um, Rebecca is somebody we knew in uh, Cambridge. Um, She uh, married uh, a chap from the States and is out there now um, and has been involved in various ministries. Um, The book is Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Um, If any of you know Tim Keller's Reason for God, it's it's kind of in that mode, and it's maybe sort of 10 years on. And interestingly, is asking perhaps a few questions that just didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, it's, it's a book that is probing Christianity, if you like, and saying, why is it really worth it? Um, one of the things that she does early on in the book is she just talks about and spots there are patterns in the world, to use that phrase, And there are patterns in the Bible. And just looking at how, even in modern research and psychology, when you look at what the Bible is saying, actually it it makes sense for people. People are struggling in the world to figure things out. The patterns don't work. And when you look at what the Bible says, actually it does. So let me give you an example. That won't necessarily mean very much. But 
She cites two or three examples. One, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. That that might not be what operates in culture at large, but even modern research into well-being and happiness, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And lo and behold, there is a pattern uh, in biblical thinking um, that the love of money really does disappoint. Uh, So often, actually, it's relationships, it's friendships that have a correlation with well-being and happiness, not how much money you have. Um, She explores some of that. That work really does work for us when it's a calling. That we're, if you like, again, there might be patterns in the world that that look at work either as uh, a terrible drudge or or a complete obsession. And the Bible has ways of thinking about work and that it's it's good for us that we're made to work, that it's when when we have that sense of why we do it, we can thrive. Uh, that gratitude, that giving thanks, really is linked to our sense of, um, of happiness and well-being. Again, she cites some of the research along these lines. A number that you could explore. Again, he keeps the topics open, in, uh, Paul does in, in, this, in these verses. But one that she lands on, and this is where I just want to draw threads together for where we're going for the rest of the series. One in particular that she lands on, I guess asking why is Christianity worth it, is about loneliness, about loneliness and community, and looking at patterns that we've, uh, we have in the world. And she has this striking phrase that we have become in the world, so to speak, a, 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 a single-portion society. We've become a single-portion society. We've become very individualistic. We've become sort of, you know, each our own individual people, and we've, we've kind of drifted that way. And there is a pattern, if you like, and there is a different pattern that the Bible offers, which is one of community. And then that's where she sort of then targets Christians, if you like, and says this. Jesus preached a gospel of radical intimacy with him first and foremost, but through him also with each other. Um, She says, a level of intimacy that Christians seldom reach. Patterns of of this world and patterns of God's will and if you like the pattern that we we found ourselves in is this one portion society the bible actually speaks of something very different and where romans is going to take us chapters 12 to 16 is to think about how we are as a community and how we do this and it's striking isn't it that when we look at ourselves actually what the bible calls us to even the patterns that it is calling us to we struggle to reach uh, in community, in friendship, uh, a level of intimacy that Christians seldom reach. And Paul is saying, look, be renewed. Allow this to infuse your thinking. Look at the ways that we work. Look at what the Bible is calling us to. And let's do some of that work over the next few weeks as we read through these chapters. Let's think about what it means to be called to be a community together, to serve one another, to be a part of a body together. Um, let me throw this in just at the end. Uh, I think this is something that the, the, the world actually yearns for, interestingly. Here are two films, which are quite different, um, depending on how you like to pitch your films. One is uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. It's a kind of literary period drama. It's, um, it's very enjoyable. Uh, the other is uh, Avengers Endgame. 
which is slightly different in its uh, mode. So both of these films have two uh, characters. Um, um, uh, Lily Collins is... Uh, uh, Lily James's character in um, this film and Scarlett Johansson's character in that film. And they both use the same words, and they are both voicing something that they feel they have needed and have found and are, are kind of yearning for. And that word in both films is that. Family. At key points, they both say, what I have been looking for, what I've been yearning for, is family. Steve's letter spoke of well-taught, warm-hearted, Jesus-loving Christians for the wider church. Um, our bodies uh, acting out of thanks, uh, not fear. Our minds uh, renewed, thinking deeply about the gospel and, and how God works. That's how he's going to do that in us. That's how he's going to take this next chapter forward, I pray, and I hope for us. Um, let's pray together, shall we? Father, we bring to you our, ourselves, our church, our community. Uh, Lord, would we drink deeply from the well of your grace and your kindness to us? I, I pray that we would, uh, if we haven't thought about those mountain peaks of all that you've done for us in a while, that we would uh, think afresh about them. Uh, and in light of that, Lord, you'd just be stirring our hearts to live uh, to offer our bodies, to renew our minds uh, in new ways. Uh, take us forward, we pray, uh, that it might be in ways that are, are wonderfully pleasing to you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.